When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Billboard Pop Shop Podcast. I'm Keith Caulfield, Billboard's Senior Director of Charts. And I'm Katie Atkinson, Billboard's Executive Digital Director, West Coast. Hello, Katie. Oh, hi, Keith. How are you? Doing quite well. Maybe a little sleepy. You know, long, long, uh, long Grammy night this past weekend. Uh, for once, we were not actually at the Grammy Awards. Yeah, this whole Vegas thing. Well, you and I weren't. Lots of Billboard people were. Lots of Billboard people were, and we, of course, covered the absolute bejesus out of it, but we were not in Las Vegas. Which, you know, actually was fine. Totally fine. It was fine. <laughs> it all worked out. Um, all that said... As always, the Billboard Pop Shop Podcast is your one-stop shop for all things pop on Billboard's weekly charts. In addition, you can always count on a lively discussion about the latest pop news, fun chart stats and stories, new music, and guest interviews with music stars and folks from the world of pop. Today on the show, we've got chart news on how Machine Gun Kelly lands his second number one on the Billboard 200 Albums chart, how Lotto's Big Energy hits the top 10 on the Billboard Hot 100 Songs chart, and how Daddy Yankee notches his highest charting album ever on the Billboard 200 with his first studio album in over a decade, Legendary. <laughs> Sounds like Barney from How I Met Your Mother <laughs> named that. Did you ever watch that show? No. Okay. Well, if you did, you understand what I'm saying. Okay. Also on the show, we're talking all about the 2022 Grammy Awards and the winners in the coveted Big Four categories. Speaking of which, Olivia Rodrigo took home Best New Artist, but she got shut out of all the other big prizes. Why do we think that she didn't sweep, and what will her Grammy future look like? Stay tuned for our discussion on all that. Plus, Harry Styles released the brand new song, As It Was, last week, the first taste of his upcoming Harry's House album. What do we think of the new song and video, and where might it land on next week's charts? Oh, and who will join Harry and Billy in the desert now that Kanye West has dropped out as a Coachella headliner? We will talk about all this and more. It's a busy pop week. What can we say? But first, before we get started, if you enjoy the podcast, subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast provider so you won't miss an episode. And if you want to explore more podcasts from Billboard, visit billboard.com slash podcasts. Oh, hey, let's do the chart chat. First up, Machine Gun Kelly's Mainstream Sellout. Tops the Billboard 200 Albums chart as the set enters atop the list with 93,000 equivalent album units earned in the United States of America in the weekend in March 31st, according to Luminate, formerly MRC Data. It's the artist's second number one album following his last release, 2020's Tickets to My Downfall. All told, <laughs> all told, Mainstream Sellout is his sixth top 10 on the chart. 
Also, Mainstream Sellout is the first number one rock album on the Billboard 200 in over a year since ACDC's Power Up spent a week at number one, debuting atop the list dated November 28th, 2020. By the way, rock albums are defined as those that have hit Billboard's top rock albums chart, and you may have figured it out by now, but Mainstream Sellout is also number one on the top rock albums chart this week. Sounds like MGK is officially a rock star. Can't wait for that ACDC MGK double bill. Uh <laughs> Me either. Let's hold our breath until it happens. <laughs> um, all right. Well, next, staying with the Billboard 200, Daddy Yankee returns to the top 10 for the first time in nearly 15 years as a legend. Daddy debuts at number eight. <laughs> That's fun to say. His highest charting album ever and his second top 10. He previously hit the top 10 in June of 2007 with El Cartel, The Big Boss, which debuted and peaked at number nine. Now, the new 19-track Legend Daddy is Daddy Yankee's first studio album in nearly 10 years and has been described as his final studio release. Legend Daddy bows with 29,000 equivalent album units earned. Yeah, I thought he had been threatening retirement, but, I mean, this dude is still so crazy successful. Like, where are you going, bro? Like, keep making music. He's fine. <laughs> uh, Legend Daddy is also the highest-charting Latin album and first top 10 on the Billboard 200 since Bad Bunny's El Ultimo Tour del Mundo. Bowed at number one on the December 12th, 2020 dated chart and spent five non-consecutive weeks in the top 10. And won for uh, Best Musica Urbana album at the Grammys on Sunday. You know who watched that uh, pre-tell premiere ceremony from <laughs> front to back? Why won Katie Atkinson. That would have been my job on Sunday, so well, please quiz me. What won what award? <laughs> we'll, we'll, well, don't worry. We'll do that. <laughs> Lastly, over on the Hot 100 Songs chart, Wild Glass Animals Heat Waves sits tied at number one for a fifth week. Lotto lands her first top ten as Big Energy jolts 11 to 3. The song, which has been gaining for weeks, got a boost from a new remix with Mariah Carey and featuring TJ Khaled. On the remix, Carey sings a portion of her 1995 number one hit, Fantasy, and both songs interpolate Tom Tom Club's classic Genius of Love, which was a top 40 hit in 1982. It's just like a Russian nesting doll of songs at this point. <laughs> it, it is. It is. Uh, whoever whoever the songwriters were for Genius of Love is just rolling in money. Just passively making money for the last you know, 25 it. years. Gotta Beautiful. <laughs> So moving on, Harry Styles released his brand new song, As It Was, last week, along with a new music video, and fans are already going crazy over both. Keith, have you listened and, and watched? Yes, I, I, I watched it as soon as I got the press release and tuned into the video. I, I, I consumed the song by way of the music video. Okay, my, I, I had a listen. I had a pure listen first and then a video watch. And I have to say, I'm, I am I love both. Um you know, I had actually been talking with some of our coworkers last week about how Harry's lead singles, while great, have never been the best songs from the album. It's like Sign of the Times, great song, uh, Lights Up, great song, but then went on to like have bigger hits and bigger poppy kind of songs off of the album. What was the second single from Fine Line? Adore uh, You? This, no, no, no. Adore You's from... Oops. Uh, wait, no, from Fine Line. I thought you were talking about his first album. Um, from Fine Line, yeah, Adore You was his and the second. And then Watermelon Sugar. And then Watermelon Sugar, yeah. I don't think the average person knows Lights Up. 
Right. That's kind of the thing. But it's still like he plays it in his concert. It's a great song. Um, But it's not like the one you remember from the album. So we were like we were hedging our expectations for as it was, Mm -hmm. knowing that it's going to be a good, solid Harry song. What what they call it? A table setter? Yes. What's what's the phrase? 100%. Setting the table for for Harry's house. That's appropriate. Setting the dining room table in Harry's house. For Harry's house. (laughs) Um, But then it turned out like it's a great song. If this is like the underwhelming song from this album, I am thrilled because it is a super fun song. It almost has like a postal service kind of vibe to it, like sort of bleep blippy. I, I, I was hearing like <laughs> synthy blips that reminded me of Take On Me. Yes, 100 percent. Yes, I've heard that comparison too. great comparison as well. It's just it's one of those ones also that's got the uh, kind of maybe sadder lyrics that belie the very like upbeat mm. tone of the production um, because the, the lyrics are are much more about kind of like a failed relationship and trying to reclaim something that's lost in a relationship or finding yourself after a failed relationship etc like there's just lots of you know kind of bummer of a theme <laughs> but then the song itself like will fit in like you know an iPhone commercial too you know you know what I mean yeah. yes <laughs> it's peppy and bubbly and oh this is and it's like wait what? what pills what? are you on huh what? <laughs> what do you mean? What just happened? Why are you lying on the floor? Um, uh, yeah, and then the video is spectacular. Like, I just, I think Harry is such a fun pop star because he is just like, I don't I don't even know how to, like, phrase what I want to say. Okay. I think that, you know, somebody like Justin Bieber, for instance, like, he's never really gone out on, like, a fashion limb like Harry has. Maybe feeling like he needs to put up this, like, thing as, like, a heartthrob. Like, he's only supposed to be, like, super, I don't know, super masculine or something. Whereas Harry's, like, wearing a spandex bodysuit in this and is is as much or more of a heartthrob than ever because of this spandex bodysuit. You know what I mean? But it was, but... That's Harry's personality, too, though. I, I've... You're more of a Harry expert than I am, but it feels like while Harry was in one direction, there was a certain amount of conformity that you had to have for the the image of the group. Mm-hmm. However, even then, he was clearly trying to establish himself as his own person. Mm-hmm. And making stylistic choices with what he wore and how his hair was done and mm-hmm. things like that. And also just his entire disposition and his personality. And everyone kind of knew that. So when his first album came out and he started to make moves both in terms of just sonics and um, how he aesthetics. presented himself, aesthetics, mm-hmm. it was already like, whoa, what's going on? And so he, Coming from the boy band. Coming from like, the boy band. Yeah. Um, and then as we progressed to fine line and he was making choices through his videos and through photo shoots, he um, challenged people. Yeah. So now when we see him in a leotard or he, it's, it's not it's, unexpected. It's not unexpected. Yeah. And so bravo to him yes. for, for sort of conditioning us to not sort of think this is out of the ordinary. This is what I'm saying. I feel like he's done, like he's like single-handedly done that. And my friend texted me when uh, the video came out and said, it's like Justin Timberlake and Elton John had a baby. 
<laughs> like that's such a great description because he's very much like the teen heartthrob guy. Like there's nothing. But then he also is like as flamboyant as like Elton and his costumes and his glasses and his boas and whatever. It's just I love it. It's a beautiful combination. And then it also comes with this great music, too. Like he's just a full package. Yeah, it's um. It's it's when if you watch the if you haven't watched the video go go check the video out. I think it works as sort of a great art piece. Yes. Where I I know like that an I w- interpretive dance piece almost like he's telling a whole story through their dance through their choreography. There there's lots of it's one of those videos where it's like oh no you probably should watch it a few times and it's enjoyable to watch mm-hmm. repeatedly because you can enjoy it for what it is. Yeah. As just sort of pure fun pop performance, but if you want to look deeper and try to see more and peel back the layers, you can. And I think, you know, that's the mark of a great music video. And also, I mean, as a complete tangent, but since we're together in the same room, we tend to have these (laughs) tangents more frequently. Um, You know, I I remember this weekend I was falling into a YouTube rabbit hole and I was watching Janet Jackson's video for When I Think of You, Mm. a video filmed in 1986 to appear as one continuous take. But there's only five edits in it, five visible edits. But it's one of those videos that was made that was hoping that you would want to watch it again and again to be like, oh, what about that? Mm-hmm. I missed that. Where's the edit? Where's that? And you want to do that. You want mm-hmm. to watch, you want to do that with music videos. And I think the same thing is happening with Harry, where he's creating more than just, oh, it's just something to have in the background on YouTube. It's like, yep. oh, no, this is an art piece, but it also works as just a piece of pop as well. Yeah. I I don't know how he does it honestly. He makes it look very simple. He's just meant to be a pop star, I think. I, I think it's 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 great that we have someone like Harry Styles, um, because it, it makes me think of someone like George Michael or something, mm-hmm. where it's like a true um, male pop star that is trying to dabble in different sounds. You know, is a great front man, puts on a great live show, is sort of you know ticks all the boxes. In much the same way, we have a bunch of female pop stars that do all of that, too. Yeah. And it's so great that, like, Harry is like, yep, I'm going to do this. Harry's not like this, you know, this is my audience and I'm only for them. He's like, everybody can enjoy this who's interested in enjoying this. Right. Please come come all that want to. Yeah. Um, And as I said, it's the first taste of Harry's third solo album, which is called Harry's House. And it is set for release on May 20th. May 20th. Yep. And next up for Harry, he'll be headlining Coachella, playing Friday night, April 15th in the desert. And we just learned on Monday that Kanye has now backed out of his Sunday headlining slot. So the festival's on the hunt for a new headliner to join Harry and Billie Eilish. Okay, why did Kanye say why he he backed out? He has not. No, it's right now. It's actually been very like his team says he's backed out. Like there's no explanation yet. I mean, there's things you can infer uh, for instance, uh, he said weeks ago, maybe a month if ago Billy now, didn't drop off if Billy of didn't apologize she- to Travis publicly for like dissing him, blah, blah, blah. Right. And so she didn't because she had nothing to apologize for because she was helping a fan like she's done countless times before and since World happened. Mm-hmm. Um, but you could you could infer that that might be a reason. Also, you by, could, the, by the time you hear this, Kanye could have said, oh, I'm going to be back on. <laughs> Maybe. But um, there's already some rumors floating around. Um, one of the ones I just saw, which is completely unconfirmed, it's from page six, is that The weekend is being considered, which he's already headlined Coachella. So um, 
you know, I suppose he He's, could plug in. When does the weekend's tour start? Um, His stadium tour starts this year. Right. So we were, we were, Keith and I were talking about this beforehand. Like how, about the, how like, you kind of want to plug somebody in who's got a production ready to go, right? right. You can't just, it, it, you can't just swoop in and be like, oh, I'm ready. It's like, no, you would want to bring someone who His has. tours tour start till September. Oh, yeah. Well, that's So he's got a. A minute, but he yeah. did. Maybe he could just pull out last year's Super Bowl. <laughs> like set. <laughs> you 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 would want to pull in someone who maybe has a residency in Vegas. Mm-hmm. You could just you know transport that over. Silk Sonic opened the Grammys on Sunday. Won just, all the Grammys remember, they were nominated when for. Coachella used to be sort of like an alternative rock hip hop thing. That ship has very much sailed. Apparently, yes, it's very much sailed. I think they try. Remember when the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame was just about right, rock music, right. man. <laughs> You know, actually, I did see a suggestion on that front, though. Um, You know, back in 2020, when the Coachella lineup had been announced already, it was supposed to have been Frank Ocean, Travis Scott, and Rage Against the Machine. And it was never really explained why Rage fell off. That was supposed to be this year. Oh, no, last year. It would have been, well, it's it's held off. They didn't do it last year either. So um, they ended up announcing that Frank Ocean was going to headline next year, so 2023. Travis... Fell off. Mm-hmm. We're assuming they never said this, but we're assuming because of the Astro World tragedy. But then they never really said why Rage fell off. Was it just because they weren't in a tour cycle anymore? Because they were going to do like a whole big old tour then. Right. So then maybe that just kind of got scrapped. Um, <sighs> if you wanted rock. But then I think a lot of people are looking at diversity now, too, in the sense that we've got Billy and Harry left. And mm. we've got no hip hop. We have no people of color. It's like there's that would be weird if they brought rage in, mm. you know, on that front. So, but I guess it would offer a diversity of genre because you'd have a rock band. So, well, Silk Sonic. <laughs> they're Silk Sonic. There they are. Wow. Uh, they're ready to place wherever you want them <laughs> at any moment. They can set up the Vegas situation. Uh, uh, can't, couldn't, could, couldn't they just take an existing? Um, not headliner. Yes. So thank you for saying that because the perfect candidate for that is Doja Cat. That would be wild if Doja Cat is like headlining Coachella. Honestly, like... No offense to Doja Cat. No, but the Grammy win on Sunday, huge surprise for her. She had a televised award for, I believe it was pop uh, duo duo group group performance. For Kiss Me More, what's this? Which there were two parties that thought it was a either going to go to BTS and Butter and finally give them a Grammy or it was going to go to Tony Bennett and Lady Gaga and give them an on-screen moment. They did win a Grammy in pre-tell but give them a televised moment. It ended up going to SZA and Doja. So Doja has won this big old Grammy. She's had this huge album that has had a much longer shelf life than I think anyone expected. Just keeps pumping out Hot 100 singles. Woman hits number one on the Pop Airplay chart this week, by the way. That's her third number one on the Pop Airplay chart from the Planet Her album. There you go. So I think she could do it. Now, also, there's been a lot of headlines about her wanting to quit music recently. So not sure if she's in the mindset right now for wanting such a huge stage. Um, you know, she just did, she went down to South America and was doing the whole like Lollapalooza Brazil Latin America tour that, um, you know, Foo Fighters, Taylor Hawkins, uh, was doing, uh, Miley did, et cetera. So she's not a stranger to a big stage. I think she could pick up and do it if she wanted, if she answered the call. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, I think, golly. (laughs) <laughs> Golly, it's just I can't imagine what it's like trying to program and book these festivals oh, when gosh. when Coachella is the one that sort of kicks off the entire season. And, you know, you don't want to have the same headliner that's already going to be a headliner at some later show. Right. Like you don't want to have like, oh, ours is going to be the same as 
They've gotten over that a little bit, though, because of how, what a glut of festivals have come upon us. Like, it used to be they'd have, like, exclusivity clauses and all sorts of stuff, right. but they've kind of moved away from that, knowing that there's, you know, a finite number of massive A-list stars that can headline, you know, at also, any Coachella, given time. Coachella used to be the... It you, you could always count on Coachella to have like some like crazy reunion or some yep. act that hasn't played in a gajillion years or some really unique experience, and it f- feels like you know they've got Swedish House Mafia, which they also talked about how they kind of kept them a little on the they're not quite a headliner, they're not quite not back burner. They they put them on the poster like in bold face, like coming to returning to the desert is oh, how they phrased it. Right. So a lot of people thought that might have been all along a sort of plan B or that they were gonna play simultaneous to a headliner all along. And now maybe they'll just plug them into Kanye's slot for all oh, we know. Like maybe they were gonna be like in the dance tent in a headliner. At the same slot, time. At the same time. Yeah, which they do a Kanye lot. Yeah. All well, right. There's a lot to talk about there. We'll definitely keep you posted. And heck, who knows if you hear this because it might they might announce a new headliner on Monday night before we even put this show up. Who knows? We're not editing this thing. It's going to go as is. <laughs> Moving on to Sunday night's Grammy Awards. John Baptiste was the night's biggest winner, taking home five prizes from his 11 nominations, including a surprise win for Album of the Year with We Are. A surprise that shouldn't be a surprise, but continue. Yeah. yeah by the way, check out our coworker Andrew's article, the five reasons why it won. But I think there was just so much chatter around albums that weren't We Are going into it. Like Sour, for instance, Billy's album, even Taylor's album, seeing if she might repeat with Evermore after Folklore. John Batiste won. And five prizes altogether. Uh, also, Silk Sonic swept their three categories, including Record and Song of the Year for Leave the Door Open. As Anderson uh, Pack uh, noted in, in the, the the final award presentation that they had for the evening, he said... It's hard to stay humble. Wait, didn't he say it's like, this in the industry is what they call a clean sweep. Yep, he sounded very Vegas when he said it that. Was just, it was just so funny. Yeah. Both of their acceptance speeches were just so hilarious. Yes, they were fun. So like, even if you were like a little bit miffed that maybe your fave didn't win, the the, the sting was taken away by just how sort of like... Just look at Anderson's hair and then... <laughs> and how he kept shaking it all <laughs> yes, around. Sure. <laughs> how much of that is his hair? Oh, that, I mean, that's gotta be. It's that is a wig. It's just 100% a wig. 100% wig. Well... Olivia Rodrigo, she took home three awards on Sunday night from her seven nominations, including the coveted Best New Artist Prize. But many experts, including our own awards editor, Paul Grine, thought Olivia could have an even bigger night, perhaps even repeating Billie Eilish's Big Four sweep of 2020. But Olivia has to settle for only three Grammys. Pop vocal (laughs) album, Best New Artist, and pop solo performance for driver's license. And only one of the big four there with Best New Artist. And we know we know it's like ridiculous to look at it that way. It's ridiculous. But we wondered, was this a is this a good night for Olivia? A great night, an okay night. Like what kind of night is this, do you think, going in with seven and coming away with three? It's a great night. Yeah, it's a great night. How in the world could you possibly look (laughs) at it any other way? I mean, if you're predicting the big four sweep and people get into your head about the big four sweep and Billy just did the big four sweep. What if you talk to Paul and he's just like, uh, (laughs) hey, Paul, hi. (laughs) Sorry, Olivia. (laughs) No, it's a it's a huge night. I mean, best new artist, I think. 
I, I would imagine that's got to be the one you hope you go away with because that's like I just feel like that's a huge badge of honor walking away with that one. She's also the fifth uh, woman in a row to win Best New Artist. Uh, before her was uh, Megan Thee Stallion, Billie Eilish, uh, Dua Lipa, and Alicia Cara. Wow. Uh, that's amazing. Alessia Cara. So this is where we anoint the next great female artist, <laughs> apparently, every year. Pretty, pretty great track record as well. <laughs> Honestly, yes. You know, I mean, we, we had a we. The Grammys had some interesting choices back in the day. Yeah. But it does feel like, at least in recent times, the Best New Artist winner has been a, a, a pretty spectacular selection. Yeah, 100%. Um, you know, one of the things that I thought of uh, when looking at, you know, just how good was Olivia's night was thinking about how she often is compared to Taylor Swift as, you know, a young singer songwriter, uh, you know, very personal diary, like lyrics, uh, you know, plays instruments, etc. Like just, she's had those comparisons and it's her idol. She's talked about her inspiration from Taylor. Um, so I wanted to kind of look at what Taylor's first Grammys were like, because then maybe you can draw a line and see like, okay, how excited should we be about Olivia's night or not? And I was surprised to look back and see that at her very first Grammys, which was the 50th annual Grammy Awards in 2008, Taylor was nominated for only one prize that night. Can I guess? Yes. So is this from her self-titled debut album? Yes. I'm going to guess country solo performance or country female performance if the category existed then for Tim McGraw. Great guess, Keith, but... Wrong? Best new artist. Oh, well, that's okay. it. Not a single country prize. Not a single country nomination. Tells you tells you what country thought of Taylor. At, in the early days, yeah, yeah, because these are genre voters at who least, are making l- those choices. At least the country voter committee people that are part of the recording academy. Correct. Which is very different. It doesn't have the same crossover as, like, say, the CMAs or the ACM Awards. But she was one of those uh, Best New Artist nominees that was among only five nominations. She did not win Best New Artist. She did not win. Actually, who who won? I didn't look that up. Was that 2008, 2009? Yeah, do you want to guess that, too? I bet you it was, like, um, I want to say, was that the Esperanza Spalding year? No, that was the year that Esperanza Spalding won against Justin Bieber and Drake. Um, I bet you, actually, Taylor was probably up against someone really significant. Amy Winehouse, maybe? Amy Winehouse. Nice work. Good guess, Keith. That category, it was Amy Winehouse, who won, Feist, Lettucey, Paramore, and Taylor Swift. Solid, Speaking of solid uh, uh, future lady superstars, all all right there. Um, so she won, or she, I'm sorry, was nominated and lost in that one single category. So already we're talking about Olivia's Night going in with seven nominations for her first year, right? Yeah. Then if you look at her next Grammys, which was in 2010. For Fearless. For Fearless. Oh, boy. Taylor saw way more action, all of a sudden having eight nominations with that album and four wins. So she won half of the Grammys she went in for, including her very first Big Four category for Album Album of of the Year year for Fearless. So, um, yeah. So to say the least, I I feel like Olivia had an amazing night getting that Best New Artist win, getting two other wins as well. If you look at somebody like Taylor losing Best New Artist, not getting any of the other nominations, I think Olivia is going to be okay. is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. (laughs) Olivia is is. You know, there there might be a certain amount of maybe relief, maybe in her mind, where 
a little too much pressure if she had been like the big four sweep girl? Yeah, there was a look on her face when she won either Pop Vocal or Best New Artist. And she had this look when the camera hit her and she was getting up from chair. It almost looked like that eye roll of like, oh, God, like I've won this other thing. And maybe in her mind she was thinking, is this going to be a repeat of like Billy from a few years ago where Billy kept winning everything? Right. Or like when Adele keeps winning everything and then it becomes like, hey, girl, you just won everything. And like you took the air out of the room and like you never want to be that person. Yeah. And so maybe somewhere in the back of her mind, she's like, maybe it was fine. It yeah. was okay. No, and, a little pressure But she pressure still walked off. out a winner with multiple awards, and it didn't look like she was, you know, um, hogging the spotlight. Yeah. No, totally. And it's like, they have nothing to do with it, you know? Well, and I'm sure she saw, I mean, not to just keep harping on the Taylor comparison, but I'm sure she's seen throughout Taylor's career when she was the, like, win every award girl and pretend to be surprised girl right. there was backlash to yeah. that you know so yeah like we said Olivia's gonna be fine um she had a huge night uh and I'm I'm excited to hear what what Olivia's fearless sophomore album is gonna be like it, it's it's crazy to think that it's been over a year no has it been a year no has Her it been a year since Sour drivers came out? it's been exactly a year like last Thursday since Sour came yeah out. mm-hmm wow yeah driver's license was January and Sour was April It'll be. It'll, I wonder, like, how long will we wait for the next album? Mm-hmm. Like, has she already been talking about that she's working on new music? I wonder, will it come before the end of the year? Will yeah. she be up in contention for next year's album of the year? If I'm her with this tour coming, I want to just take a breather after that tour. Wouldn't you think? It's been a whirlwind. She's been on yeah. a roller coaster and probably wants to get off and have some sense of whatever normal is for her. Yeah, but now you're having you're you're doing the I've got to do the tour in support of this, much like Future Nostalgia tour was in support of an album that came out two years ago. Yeah, well, at least she's a little bit quicker than that. Um, should we? <laughs> oh, wait. Olivia could huh? could go to Coachella. Yeah, <laughs> sure. Um, should we talk? Was there more about the Grammys that we should talk about? I figured there's so much we could talk about with the Grammys that we should like narrow it down to the one thing. But if you would like to bring anything else up, I feel like there's there's too much to talk about. I mean, I th- I think the 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 elephant in the room is the fact that John Batiste, who is an artist who does not get radio airplay, is not at the top of your uh, streaming uh, playlists, uh, is not. And he, he is not someone that's ever had an album in the top 40 of the Billboard 200. Oh, I mean, Gary updated his article about how, you know, album of the year, albums of the year and records of the year have performed on our Billboard 200 and on the Hot 100. Mm. And John Batiste was the, like, lowest performer of yeah. album of the year winners yeah. of all time. Yeah. Yes, the, his album, which won album of the year, and it was called We Are, debuted and peaked at number 86 on the Billboard 200 and spent one week on the chart. Uh, we assume that it should probably have some measurable gain this week in the wake of the Grammy Awards. I would think. How big that will be, we do not know. Because I've already given it a curiosity listen. I hadn't listened before the Grammys, and then I did after the Grammys. The only place I've heard any parts of this album in the past were um, on NPR, like in the past. Yeah. Like, like when I listened to um, KCRW in Los Angeles, like 
I had heard interviews with him. He might have been on like some of their weekend programming. I've heard a few of the songs. I think to a lot of people, he's Stephen Colbert's band leader. Yes. Like, and then that's the end of the list. If but that. As we mentioned earlier, he had 11 nominations going into Sunday's show. And well, sitting through that pretell, those nominations were scattered across all sorts of genres. Wackadoodle. He had one in jazz. He had one for um, the soul score soundtrack right. along with uh, Trent Reznor like and Atticus some, Ross. I want to say like instrumental composition. Yeah, there or might something. have been like a classical something or other there yeah. too. In addition to We Are for Album of the Year, like. And an, an, an R&B one, too. Like, he literally was scattered across four or five genres, which the album is scattered across four or five genres, he's too. An, he's an eclectic artist, and I think the vast majority of people that were watching the Grammy Awards, if you were watching the Grammy Awards, learned about him for the very first time last night through that performance of Freedom, the song from the album, which was nominated for Record of the Year, which was a pretty electric performance, and through him winning Album of the Year. Uh, what happened with him at the Grammys was what the Grammys have done in the past where they effectively in, could make someone through through an award show. I think— Make, make their career or oh, yeah. change the trajectory of their career. There are names that we know because of the Grammys, and those names include, you already mentioned, Esperanza Spaulding. Esperanza Spaulding. Who won last night, too, by the way. Uh, she, really? Like, yeah, she won, and Paul did an article about her— um, like, you know, basically now she's won more Grammys than any of those people she was up against for Best New Artist because she's been winning these genre Grammys mm. this, you know, consistently since that win over Drake and Justin Bieber. Though, you know, though Bonnie Raitt was obviously um, a, a noted artist before the 1990 Grammy Awards, the 1990 Grammy Awards where she won Album of the Year for Nick of Time absolutely changed the course of her career. Nora Jones was already a, a star through the release of Come Away With Me, but the Grammy Awards were like the the cherry on top and the coronation that further cemented her, and she talked about it last week on the show. So the Grammys can do that, yep. where they can suddenly like reveal a talent that has been in the ether or been in the industry for a while that maybe the masses didn't know about because the traditional means of of consuming music through radio or streaming playlists or back in the day MTV or VH1, the gatekeepers never gave some artists who were beloved and critically loved by the the, the the members of the Recording Academy, meaning the people who actually make music for a living professionally, maybe always liked them. Yeah. And maybe they never got the, the shine. So it'll be interesting to see what happens to John Batiste's career after this week. Not, you know, Olivia if obviously nothing, is going to be fine, but if John Batiste. If nothing else, we are is going to see a bump. Right. So we will, you know, come back next week and we will tell you all about it or see Keith's article on Sunday. You know, you know, John <laughs> Batiste is demanding a, a raise right now from Stephen Colbert right. and CBS. <laughs> you now have a five-time Grammy award-winning artist as your band leader. Seriously. Crazy. And, you know, it was a good night for band leaders, late night band leaders, because Questlove also won for, uh, you know, music film for Summer Soul a week after winning uh, the Oscar for the movie. Yeah. So, yeah, apparently just this is a good gig for a talented musician. End up as a late night band leader, obviously. So should we move on now? Yes. Okay. Well, now it's time for the chart stat of the week. And really, it's just another quiz, Katie. Uh, and it's funny, uh, Katie and I do work from a script, but a lot of this is sort of off the cuff. Uh, this part of the script I did not actually give to her. 
Oh. So she's looking at a big blank part in her script. Yes, I am. If she's looking at it, she might be doing something else. <laughs> I mean, she's literally in front of me. But anyway. Um, all right. So, Katie, we were talking earlier about Album of the Year winners um, and uh, how we had noted that John Batiste had not made the top 10 yet on Correct. the Billboard 200 with an album that had only reached number 86 so far. So I thought it would be fun to play a quiz, Katie, asking you which of the following Album of the Year winners did not hit number one on the Billboard 200. This is a quiz, Katie, for how well she remembers the article she edited by Gary oh, last night. Well, then, but then, well. the answer is probably not that well because I edited, you know, 50 articles yesterday. So mm. right. this will be a real test. Okay, so which of these albums did not hit number one either before or after it won okay. the Grammy for okay. Album of the Year? Okay. So we have Natalie Cole's Unforgettable With Love, which won in 1992. Bruno Mars, 24K Magic, or 24 Karat Magic, which won in 2018. Phil Collins, No Jacket Required, which won in 1986. Billy Joel, 52nd Street, which won in 1980. And Celine Dion's Falling Into You, which won in 1997. Now, I have the feeling that because you edited this and because... Some of these names might be more familiar than others. You may know you may know the answer immediately. I don't. What? I oh. don't know the answer immediately. Okay. Well then. Um. So I'm guessing. I'm gonna go Bruno Mars. Is you that are, right? You are correct. <laughs> um, so Bruno Mars' album debuted and peaked at number two and spent four non-consecutive weeks at number two. I remember that. What was it behind you, remember? Metallica's Hardwired, Self to Hardwired oh, yeah, to Self Destruct. Yep. I. Yes. That's the only reason I remembered it debuting at number two. That's the only reason I guessed that. Okay. You know, the Silk Sonic album also debuted at number two. But it ended up going to number one, didn't it? Nope. It never, ha it hasn't yet. Hasn't yet. Oh my goodness. That'll be interesting. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> uh, just to recap the others, uh, Natalie Cole's album spent five weeks at number one in the summer of 1991 before it won Album of the Year the following year. Phil Collins' album spent seven weeks at number one in 1985 before it won Album of the Year in 1986. Billy Joel's album spent eight weeks at number one in late 1978 and early 1979. Ooh, that, that was a late 1978 release that ultimately won in 1980. Ooh, that's an interesting <laughs> turn of the calendar. And Celine Dion's album spent three weeks at number one in October of 1997 before it went on to win Album of the Year in 1998. So there you have it. A little uh, combo platter of Quiz Katie, Chart Stat, and Grammy Flashback. Yes. Sorry I didn't remember your article better, Gary. <laughs> um... <laughs> What? But I, I got it right, just not because of that. <laughs> he, he, his article, how far, how far back does this article, did it go all the way back to the beginning? As far as I know, I guess I don't, let's look. Well, it's not that important. Well, okay. Well, he updated He, I think he started it last year and updated it last night after the wins. It's funny. I have a spreadsheet that I did um, a while back that goes back to 1990 where, you know, trying to track, like, you know, where where the album of the year winner peaked before the show and then after the show and what was its gain. And it's so wild how, you know, wh at, on what day the Grammys fell on. Was it a Sunday? Mm. Was it a Monday? You know, was the tracking week... Uh, Friday to Thursday, or was the tracking week uh, uh, Monday to Sunday? Right. Because um, that's what the tracking week used to be. Um, and then every every few years, something there's a new wrench thrown in where now we have streams, or there was digital downloads, or you know physical. You know, it, so it's it, you can't compare to how something reacted in 1999 or 2009 right. to 2022 because. The way people consume and listen to music is so different. Yeah. Every, like, five years, it radically changes now. Yeah. 
All right. Well, we've reached the end of our big show. Um, what song should we go out on? You know, my one of my surprise favorite performances at the Grammys on Sunday was Jay Balvin with Indigetto. Did you see that performance? Yeah. The arm choreography Pretty great. for that. And then the song just was ringing through my head. Calvin was singing it, which is amazing. My four-year-old. Um, so I think we should go out on J Balvin's Indigetto. You know it's uh, built around a sample of, I mean, that whole, like, Indigetto. Yeah. Dun, 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 get yes. Dun. That's is, a sample. Is a that huge... why I know that so well? Because I've already heard it long Probably. before J Balvin? I, I don't know who the <laughs> artist is, but I'm pretty sure the song is called just Indigetto. It's just so good. It was, and I just loved the way they lit the whole thing. And, and he was dressed in head-to-toe red. Well, all the dancers, um, they were dressed in white with, like, blue lights. I loved it so much. The song samples the 1993 song In the Ghetto by David Morales and Bad Yard. Amazing. Like, the the part that was, like, that kept playing. The earworm. The earworm part, Mm -hmm. that's in the original song. It's it's a direct lift from it. You have to go right back and listen to that, too. But we we should go out on J Balvin. The J Balvin version. All right, see you guys next time. Bye. Bye.